wonderful, and I just want to welcome everybody here tonight. I want to tell everybody Merry Christmas, and um, just what a great time to celebrate um, the birth of Christ. Um, we, we did just recently go last week. I was out, Pastor Carl. I want to thank him for preaching for me last Sunday. And um, we were out, out in Indiana visiting with my brother, and we, we took time before we came back to Covington to stop at the uh, Noah's Ark encounter. It's in, um, it's in Kentucky. And I want to tell you, anybody who's never been, if you get a chance to go, it's well worth the uh, trip to go up there. And it's just amazing to see it. They, they built the ark to the exact uh, specifications of what, what is written in the Bible. And um, when you see it in, in you know, person like that in real life, it really is just amazing that, that the, how, how big and enormous that was. And to think that Noah built something like that, not in modern times, there was no electricity, no power tools and all those different things and it's just truly remarkable to see it and I think my son Lee had said this and and I agree with him you know I don't need to see the ark to believe that the ark was real I don't need to see that I don't need to know that I don't need to see Jonah in the mouth of a fish to know that Jonah was in the mouth of a fish so I don't think anybody should ever go with the intent well if I go I'm going to believe that it really happened Um, Jesus said it's more blessed not to, to, to believe and not to see it and for those who have seen and believe. And um, that's real faith. But it is, it is, I think, a testament to God to see that, that that was something that was real. And again, when you see it, it's just, it's, it's, it, it takes your breath away. It's, it's, it's enormous. But as we toured, the, we did the tour of the boat, and they did a really good job. It wasn't just talking about Noah's Ark and all the things that happened with that. They used it as an opportunity to present the gospel which I thought was really, really important for them to, uh, to do that. And as I read the exhibits and the different things, you know, I began, and I, and I realized this already, but it really came to life how much the Noah's Ark is really tied to the, to the Christmas story. And um, not only in the obvious sense that the Ark represents salvation or represents Jesus, but really um, with the events that led up to the flood or a picture of the Christmas story. And um, so I want to look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have, that I have made them. And as I read that, I began to ponder, you know, as I read that scripture and went back and looked at the, at the Noah story, I began to ponder that really when you look at the way the world was before God destroyed the earth, it's really not much different than it is today. It, it, it's, it's really, if, in a lot of ways, I think it's probably more, more wicked than it was, if you can imagine that. But the Bible says that wickedness um, was great, was great on the earth. Well, we're, we're a wicked people today. Um, just, a, just abortion alone and sex trafficking is enough, I believe, for God to come and destroy the earth. And, um, and every inclination of the human heart is evil. Um, that is true today, I believe. When you, when you look at people and, and the things and the evil that, that people think in their hearts and all, those things exist today just as they did in the time of Noah. And then the Lord said when he looked down on the earth, he said, I will wipe away everything that I have created for I, have, for I regret that I have created the human race. 
And so I thought about that and I said, why, what's the difference? Why is God not wiping us out today if things are not just as bad or if not worse than it was? What, what is it, um, what is it that God, that, that is keeping God from destroying us? Second Corinthians uh, chapter 5 says, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. So what is the difference between Noah's day and our time? His name is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is the difference, and I titled the message today, The Gift That Changed the World. The Gift That Changed the World. And, you know, we are living in the year of the Lord's favor. Um, I, don't, I don't know if people really understand this. You know, sin, sin today is as wicked as it was in the days of Noah, but God, God has raised up a remedy. God has raised up an antidote by which we can be forgiven for our sins. His name is Jesus. That, that, that's why Christ came, the Bible says. So when the birth of Christ came, and you got to get this, we're, 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 celebrating, we're celebrating a new age, and it's the age of mercy and grace. And, and, you know, we think of the ice age and the stone age and the dark age and all those different things. You'll have to understand the time that you and I are living in right now today is, is, is the age of mercy and grace. Jesus said that I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, when he said the year of the Lord's favor, he wasn't talking about a calendar year. He was talking about an age and a time in history that you and I are living in today. God's favor is from the, from the birth of Christ to when Jesus Christ returns. That's the favor of God. Yes, man's sin is just as wicked. Yes, we are just as evil. But God has raised up for us a righteous standard by we can, that we can look to and we can be saved. So thank you, Jesus. I'm living in the year of the Lord's favor. That's the time that you and I, that you and I are living, living in. So Christmas, the celebration of Christmas is really, in a way, it's the Lord holding back his judgment. Because God has made a way that you and I can now be saved, that we can be forgiven, that, that God has, has, has raised up his son, Jesus Christ, and God said, I will take my wrath, which is rightly due. In other words, we, are due, we deserve God's wrath. We deserve the punishment of God. The, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the Bible said God loved us so much that he would send his son and he would transfer the wrath that belongs to you and I and place it on his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the year we are living in. So you, you, have, you, you, we must, you must comprehend this, that that it is so imperative for us to get this, um, not just as Christians, but as human beings. This is the age we're living in right now. And people say, well, you know, why does God allow wickedness and evil and sin and all those different things? Those, thing, those, those things have always existed. It's because of sin. It's because of our rebellion against God that, that, sin, that sin exists. But we should be thankful that God has given his son, Jesus Christ, by which we can be saved now. That's the celebration. That, that's what we celebrate when, when we celebrate the Christmas story. So, um, so what the world fails to recognize is the birth of Jesus forever changed the world. See, many people think that 
And some people don't even have a clue, but, but they think when they look at Jesus, they say, well, I don't really have to make a decision. That I, I see Jesus, I've heard of Jesus, I, I, maybe I've read it in the Bible, I've heard my neighbors, somebody talk about it, and someone just can sit back and they can look at Jesus and they can say, I'll just remain neutral. In other words, I just, I'm not going to make a decision either way. By doing so, you have made a decision. You made a decision not to accept him. There's only two people in the world, those who have accepted Christ and those who haven't. That, that, that's, where, that's, that's where it lies. And so when you look at what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, the, the act of him sending his son to die, for the, to, die, to die for our sins, it demands a response. See, Christmas demands a response from you and I. It's not, you know, we sat, we, we came here tonight, and we sang these songs and all, but God is not excited when we just get together and sing about Christmas and Christmas carols. God's excited when we receive Jesus Christ, when we make a decision to accept him. So it's not enough just to look at him God wants us to receive him and to accept him. So the coming of Christ caused every person in the world to make a decision. In other words, really, when you think of Christmas, and a lot of people don't want to hear this because they just want all the, the good stuff, the fun stuff, the Santa Claus, the reindeer, and all that kind of stuff. But when you think about Christmas, it really boils down to this. It's decision time. Yes, it is. It's like we God has placed his son and he has allowed his son to suffer and die for us, to, to make him a substitute for us. And God, and God has said, now you have to decide to accept or reject Jesus Christ. It's a, it's, it's a time for us to make a decision, and it's a, um, it, it really demands a response. So both decisions will have consequences that will affect our lives forever. Most people don't realize that. They think, well, Jesus, you know, it's just religion, it's... It's just church. It's, it's the Bible. That's not true. And that really doesn't have an impact on my life. Yes, it does. Whether you receive or, or reject Jesus Christ will impact your life for eternity. And, and, and we as the church, we need to understand that. So when you look at the Gospels, and, and each Gospel is different. Some of them share the same stories of what was recorded. Uh, if you read John's Gospel, John's is really unique. John kind of skips past all of the, the birth and the, and the shepherds and the angels and the manger. And John just gets right to the point. Jesus is the son of God. You know, so if you're looking for the Christmas story stuff, John's not your gospel. But there's a story in the, in the gospel of Luke. And I've never preached from this passage, but I always wanted to preach it because I, I felt like this is really, in essence, to me, the real meaning of Christmas, the, the, the Christmas story. And it's found in, the, um, in Luke chapter 2. So we're going to look at that here in Luke chapter 2. It says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. 
He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So what a remarkable story here. And we have here this man named Simeon and not much is really known about him other than what is recorded here in Luke chapter 2. But what is recorded about him is enough to, to kind of give us a gl- glimpse into his heart, into his life of who he was. And um, it's, it's the first thing that I notice when I read this is that God notices those who take notice of him. Simeon was very close to God. He, he, he obviously had a heart for God. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit was on him and the Holy Spirit had told Simeon that you would not die until your eyes have seen the Christ child, the, the Messiah, the, the promised Savior that, that, that all throughout the Old Testament was prophesied that was going to come and, and save the world. So here he was, and um, so he had received the promise that God, that God has given him. And the Bible says that Simeon was waiting for the coming of Christ. He was anticipating and expecting that Jesus was coming to, to, to do as the Lord had said, to be the Savior of the world. And God honored his faith. And imagine that Simeon was able to hold Jesus Christ in his arms. I mean, think about that. There was he, the, even Mary and Joseph really didn't know. If, if, you re, if you read the Gospels and the Gospel accounts, they really didn't understand who this was. They, they, they knew something was miraculous because Mary was obviously conceived by the Holy Spirit. But other than that, they really didn't truly comprehend who this was, but Simeon knew who this was. It was the son of God. So imagine here he is and Simeon takes the child, the Bible says, and holds him in his arms. The son of God. That, that, that's just, that's, that's mind boggling to think of that, that God would allow, allow, allow him to do that. And, um, and so when we look at Simeon's life and it's obvious that he was close, he was close to God. And you think of other men in the Bible that were close to God. Enoch was close to God. Noah was close to God. Joseph and Daniel, they was, these were men who walked close to God. So I just share that to share that obviously God notices people who take notice of him, who spend time with him, who get close to him. And that's something to be said even for us as believers, that, that, that God would reveal things to us as we draw close to him that maybe he's not going to reveal to other people who don't want to know God. So that, to me, that's just an encouragement, I believe, to the church that you spend time reading and praying and meditating upon the Lord's word and all those things that God, that God wants to reveal things to his people just as he did, just as he did to Simeon. So, but, but the words that Simeon shared, I believe, to me, are the essence or the true meaning of the 
Christmas story. And really, the words that he shared were, was really a prophecy because he was, he was speaking of Christ, but he was prophesying of what Christ was and who he was to become and what he would cause to happen. So in essence, really, uh, he, was, he was prophesying. So let's just break this down and see what it was that, that Simeon spoke to us here. In Luke chapter 2, it says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. The first thing that we need to see here is Christ is God's salvation for all people. Christ is God's salvation for all people. The birth of Christ is the salvation for the entire human race. It's important for us to understand God didn't have plan B. There, was, there wasn't another way that God had. Jesus Christ is our salvation. There is no other way, the Bible says, to get to God except through Christ. Jesus is the only way. You know, many today look to their religions. They look to, to Buddhism and, and Muslim and even Catholicism or Baptist or Methodist or all those different things. And many people believe being attached to that religion will save them. I'm here to tell you, God's not looking at your religion. God's only looking at his son, Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with religion. I'm not saying religions are bad. I was saved in the Baptist denomination, but God, God is not interested in what religion you belong to. God is only interested in what you have done with his son, Jesus Christ. That, that's, what God, that, that's what God is interested in. So the Bible says, and y'all know these scriptures, in Acts 4.12, says salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no other way. I don't care how many people believe there's another way. They sacrifice to, for religions. They, they, they do all these other things. People look at that and they say, well, you mean to tell me that all these millions of people are wrong? Yes, they are. There's only one way. His name is Jesus. The, the Bible makes it perfectly clear. Salvation is found in no one else. And then I like what the Bible says here. Given to mankind, it doesn't say by which we are saved. It says by which we must be saved. See, it, it, it gives the urgency. See, the urgency. The, the Christmas story is an urgent story. It's, a, it's an urgent message that God was sending to us. So, yes, there's celebration and there's, there's all these different things. But do we really comprehend the urgency of the coming of Christ and the, and the, and the message that he had? And then Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, this salvation is for everybody. It's not, it's not just for, you know, some people think, well, God, it's just for the good people. The Bible says there's no one good. No, not one. If God only saved good people, we'd all be in trouble. The Bible says Jesus came for everyone, every race, every creed. Doesn't matter what the person's done, what they've said, what they've thought, what they, it, it, God's salvation is for everyone. Everyone, every nation that uh, Simeon prophesied, for all the people, the Bible says. And then in Romans 1.16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. See, Paul made it clear this wasn't just for the Israel, for just, just for the nation of Israel. It was for the Gentiles too. Thank you, Jesus. The salvation is for all of us, for all peoples. No, it was it was it was it was displayed for all people. So, what we need to see, Jesus is the door by which we receive forgiveness forgiveness for our wickedness and evil. 
Jesus is the door by which we get saved. He's the gate. He's the way we walk in and enter in to God's, to, to God's salvation. Um, but the danger in, in, in coming to Christ is Jesus is the only door. There's only one way. There's not multiple ways. The world, the media, uh, Hollywood, they, they, they would tell you there's many ways for us to get saved. There's only one. There's only one door. And every person must walk through the door that is Jesus. Everyone must come, everyone must come through that door. When we, were, when we were touring the ark, we picked a good time to go because it was Christmas season. So they had a lot of uh, Christmas lights and set up. And, and we were there. Uh, we were there during the day and then in the evening it came and we, we stayed when it was dark and when you walked away from the ark you could look back at the ark and they had it lit up beautiful lights and some of the lights it looked like they kept on even if it wasn't Christmas but they made a big deal about the door you know if you read, if you read the account of, of, of Noah there was a door and what happened all the, all the animals and every, everyone went through the door well they did a good job with this when, when, you, when you stepped away and you looked back at the ark Guess what was on the door? The cross. Yeah. That, that's the door. That's the way you get saved. It's through the cross. Yeah. See, that, that's the gate. That, that's, the way, that's the way that you get saved. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many there enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Guess how many people enter the ark? Eight. Eight people enter the ark. Jesus said only a few find it. See, the road's not narrow in the sense it will only hold so many people. That's not what the Bible's saying. It'll hold everybody in the whole world. It's narrow in the sense there's only one way to get to, to, get to God. It's through Jesus. It's not narrow in the number. It's narrow in the way. Jesus is the only way. There, 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 is no, there is no other way. So let me ask you this morning, have you walked through the door that is Jesus? Have you, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's what we rejoice in today. See, we, we, rejoice, we rejoice in the fact that God sent a Savior, that God sent a Messiah, that, you, that our sins can be forgiven that's what we're singing about. That's what we're celebrating is the birth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Thank you, Jesus. See, thank you. We need to understand. Jesus told the woman at Samaria, she says, if you knew the gift of God, if the world knew the gift of God, they just push him to the side. And the, the world gives more, they give more to, to Santa Claus and all those different things than they do to Jesus. If you knew the gift of God. That your sins can be forgiven. Thank you, Jesus, what he, has, what he has done for us. The next thing that Simeon reveals to us is in Luke 2, 34. It says, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. The next thing we see here is Christ will cause some to rise and some to fall. See, he said, this child is, is destined. In other words, what Simeon was saying was, this will happen. He's just a baby now. He's eight days old. He's getting circumcised. But Simeon was prophesying. He was telling, this is, this is his destiny. This will take place. There will be rising and there will be falling of many.
See, the coming of Christ demands a decision. It, it demands that you and I make a decision. God's salvation is so great that God made it in such a way that we either accept or reject Jesus Christ. There's no in-between. There, there was no in-between. And, and again, I said this earlier, some might think, well, I'll just remain neutral. I'll just, you know, that Jesus stuff, I don't, I'm not concerned about that. You've rejected him if that's a decision that you've made. We cannot, we, we cannot remain neutral. You see, the birth of Christ is really the dividing line between life and death. The destiny of the entire world was changed the day Jesus Christ was born. Most people don't realize that. They, they think, well, that's just a religious thing. That's something the Jews celebrate in Jerusalem and Bethlehem. And that, that Jesus thing and that manger, that, that really doesn't impact me. Yes, it does. The birth of Jesus Christ affects every human being that was ever born. Amen. It's decision time is what, is, what, is what Christmas is all about. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, Yes, you who trust in him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. See, Simeon was describing two reactions that, that are going to take place when Jesus Christ was, was raised up and he became a man and he began to teach and prophesy and do all the miracles that he did. Simeon was describing two reactions. One person is going to rise and one person is going to fall. And he was going back to a prophecy in, uh, in, in Isaiah, which, which Peter shared here in chapter 2, where it said that Jesus will become a stone of stumbling or, or a rock that makes people fall. And what that is saying is God has placed before every one of us his salvation. Amen. He has made it obvious to us that Jesus Christ is the way for us to get saved. Amen. And the Bible says when you reject Jesus Christ... It is as if there's a boulder right, right in front of you on your path. And the Bible says you trip, you trip, over, you trip over that. You, you trip when you, when you reject Jesus Christ. You, you, you stumble and fall at the salvation that God has given you. But the Bible also says that Jesus Christ has become our cornerstone, our foundation, a firm place for us to stand. That's for those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ who have acknowledged that he is the son of God, that he is a salvation. What do we do with that stone? I stand on that stone because he's my rock. That's the rock of my salvation. See, I'm not tripping over. I'm not falling over the stone. I'm embracing the rock. I'm embracing the rock that is Jesus Christ. See, he prophesied that. And think about that. That's what the world is doing today. And he said that he, said that, um, he, he prophesied that Jesus Christ would Jesus Christ would be, a, would be a sign that would be spoken against. Think about that. God has raised up Jesus Christ. How many people are speaking against the name of Jesus Christ today? Everybody speak. Why, if Jesus doesn't matter, why are you speaking against him? Because he's a sign. People know that there's, that there's something different about this man, Jesus. And they understand that they have to make a decision themselves. See, it's not a religious thing. It's a heart thing where I accept Jesus Christ. I surrender my life to, 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 the, to the Son of God, the salvation that God, that God has sent for us. Amen. So what a beautiful picture that Simeon was given. And see, for those of us who now accept Jesus Christ, 
The Bible says now, guess what we do? We rise up. See, we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our trespasses. We were lost. We, we, we were on the way to eternal, to eternal death. But the Bible says for those of us who accept Jesus Christ, we rise up. Amen. Just like we do in baptism. What do we say in baptism? Raised to walk to newness of life. See, that, that, that's the, what, a, what a beautiful picture that God gave him of, the, of, of an illustration of what salvation really is. That, that, God, that God showed him that. So when you look at Jesus, and th this is so important for us to get this. God raised up his son and loved us so much to send Jesus Christ that the Bible tells us we will not be judged because of our sin. We will be judged because we rejected the remedy for our sin. Think about that. God made it a way where he wiped the slate clean and said, all the sins of the world have been placed on Jesus Christ. Look what, look what uh, Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Amen. Did you see that? Yes. Jesus, Jesus said that God's love was so great, that this salvation was so powerful, that God says if, that, that we are not condemned if we believe in Jesus Christ, but if we reject Christ, we stand condemned already. Church, we have to get the message out to the world. People must accept Jesus Christ. They must come to the cross. They must come. To, that's the Christmas story. That's the, it's, it's not, and I don't want to pour water on our celebration, but it's not just us sitting back, decorating a house and decorating a tree and singing Christmas carols. It's about salvation. Yeah. Simeon got right to the heart of what it's all about. And the world doesn't want to hear this. They, they want to hear all the pretty side and the fun stuff and the chocolate and all that kind of stuff. No, it's about salvation. That's what it was all about. Make no mistake about it. The Christmas story is about nothing else but you and I getting saved. Amen. And that's not the story the world wants to hear, but that's what it's all about. But yes, it's about love. But love was what it was that motivated God. That's what prompted God to send Christ, for God so loved the world. But Jesus Christ only matters if you receive him. It's decision time. You in other words, we have to make a decision. We have to make a decision on Jesus Christ. Amen. The next thing that Simeon reveals to us is in, in verse 35. It says, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is him talking to Mary. The next thing we see here is Christ will reveal the thoughts of our hearts. And you know, I thought about this, and I was sharing this with my wife when I, when, when I was preparing the message and getting the message, message together. Simeon said that the way you and I respond to Christ will reveal what's in our hearts. And I thought about that. I said, yeah, that, that sounds kind of harsh, but really when you think about it, it's true. Because for you and I to come to Christ and accept him, what do we need to do? i got to humble myself. I have to acknowledge that I'm a bad person, that, that I'm a sinner, and that there's nothing I can do to get rid of this sin. And I humble myself in such a way that I acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the answer. He's the antidote for my sin. 
That takes a heart. I'm not, and, and, and I, I caution when I say this because it's almost like, well, you're bragging about, like, you have the good heart, they have the bad heart. I'm not saying that, but I am saying there's something to be said about your heart when you are willing to accept Jesus Christ. That you humble yourself before God. And you, the Bible says, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. There's something about contrite and humility and brokenness and all of those things that God loves where he says, you know what? You just come before God and broken and say, you know what, God? There's no argument. I don't need to debate. I don't need to figure this thing out. I understand I'm a sinner and that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I get that. And I humble myself and, and I surrender. I surrender myself to Jesus Christ. See, and then the, the hard heart, see, that's those who ridicule Christ or they oppose Jesus or they, they make fun of us or they, they, they just push Christ to the side and it's, that's, that's not important, that, that has no bearing on my life, that, that does not impact my life. That, again, that's just a religious thing. I don't, I don't need, see, that's a hard heart. And really, that's a pride. That's pride, because what you're saying is, I can figure this thing out without God. That's pride. That 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 that's a that's a hard heart. But the heart that comes to God, as many of us have done here tonight, where where we have confessed and see, this is not just a uh, when we say that we confess Jesus or we believe in Jesus. It's not just that we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God's son. The Bible says in the book of James, it says, you say that you believe that you believe in God, that's good. But James says the devil, the demons believe also. So obviously when the Bible says believe in Jesus, it's more than just the mind. What is it? It's the heart. That's the surrender. That's the, the humility. That's, the, that's where I, I, I surrender my life to God and I say, God, you're, you're in charge now. My, my life is no longer my own. You're, you're in charge now. See, I, I give God control of my life. There's a surrender that takes place. So, so when we look at the Christmas story, you know, a lot of people, they'll celebrate the birth of Jesus, but just because you celebrate his birth doesn't mean you received him as your Savior. <laughs> There's a big difference. Amen. There's a lot of people going to be in church Sunday celebrating Christmas, and that's great. But Jesus Christ only makes a difference if you receive him. Amen. Other, other than that, it, it, it has, it, it'll make a difference in, to the extent that you've rejected him. And now your road continues to eternal death, the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. So in reality, when we look at the Christmas story, Simeon got it right. He revealed to us the true meaning of Christmas, that the Lord, the Lord has raised up a Messiah a savior. His name is Jesus. And that God, yes, the world is wicked. The world is wicked. But the Bible says that God has placed all the evil and all the wickedness where? On Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus told Nicodemus in that passage I read there in, Nicodemus, in, in John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, just as Moses raised up the brazen serpent. Remember the nation of Israel, they had, they had rebelled against God. And the Bible says that God sent poisonous snakes all throughout their camp. And, and, they, and they, when they were bitten, they were dying by that. But, but the Lord told Moses to, to make a bronze serpent and raise it up on a pole. And the Lord told Moses to tell the people of Israel, if you just look at the bronze serpent, you'll be healed. Guess what that serpent represented? That was Jesus. God has raised up a light, a salvation, 
a forgiveness, a mercy, and a grace. Think about this, church, that we are living in the, in the greatest of times. You say, well, it's bad times. And look, quit listening to the news. Quit, the new, all they do, I'm telling you, I'll, I'll listen to five minutes. All they tell you is you're going to die. You're going to catch this. You're going to grab this. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. Don't listen to the news. Read the Bible. The Bible says salvation is good news. We are living in the, we're in the age right now. It's called the age of God's favor. Think about that. We are in the, we're in the middle of the favor of God. That God has given us his son. That we look to Jesus Christ. Our sins are transferred to Christ. And we are forgiven. Then when we realize that. Then when we come in on Sundays in this house. Then there should be dancing and jumping and shouting. Because we understand what it is that God has done for us. God has saved us. Christmas should be a celebration a Christian does every day, not just once a year. There's nowhere in the Bible where we are instructed to celebrate Christmas. The word Christmas isn't, isn't even in the Bible. I'm not saying we shouldn't. We should. But, but we should celebrate the birth of Christ every day. <laughs> Look what God did. Man, it, it, it's, it's... But the, 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 the essence of the Christmas story is we have to decide. And if we have made the decision, we need to go tell, what did the children sing? Go tell it on the mountain. Go tell it everywhere. Go tell it. That God would open up our hearts and our lips, and when we see somebody, that we would tell them the good news. Jesus Christ died for you. He, God sent his son to, to, to save you. To change your life, to change your marriage, to change—that's the message. That's that's the message that God has given this church, and what a beautiful message we can share with the world every day. Amen. Amen. God is so good. God is so good. Amen.